I didn't know she was from Chicago either. So that was an epiphany for me too. I did not know she was. uh, Legit. My favorite thing about doing this show is learning those teeny tiny little details of things. And uh, so that's, that's really cool. Uh, It's not as cool that she died, but it was bound to happen. She was not a young lady. Oh, well. (laughs) Where's the beef? (laughs) What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys. And uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney, maybe Whitney. Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl? Or Super Dave, I don't know. But now the battle begins. Dueling Decades. Let's see who wins. Dueling Decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York Studios and on Pod TV Live, it's another all-new Dueling Decades. The adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back. I am Mark James, and this week we wrap up August with a worst of duel. I will be competing with the worst of August 1998 alongside the other duelers and the decades they will be fighting for. First off, with a second rate and substandard picks from the 1970s, say hello to Man Crush. Did you already see what I have? No. (laughs) It sounds like it. All right, so I got... uh... The worst of August 1977 watches on pod TV. That's two. And uh, you know what? Uh, They actually added podcasts to Facebook now. However, it's not for everybody yet, but maybe by the time this is released, it will be. And if you haven't listened to us from Facebook, hopefully by the time this is released, you can. So check that out. Uh, But yeah, worst of August 1977. Also joining the show and bringing the bottom of the barrel from August of 1987. Please welcome to the show. Chucky Balzac. Hey guys, how's it going out there? Thanks for having me. Uh, Garbage Pail Flicks podcast, and I'm here to uh, chew bubble gum and uh, kick some ass. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So this week's guest judge is no stranger to viewers of this show. He's the media king of the north. All rise for Judge Joe Finley. Guys, how lucky are you all that I became a more prevalent uh, video source once we well, once this became a YouTube thing? I became on. I came on a lot more. Uh, you're very lucky to be seeing this more and more. <laughs> very stunning video. Too. Oh God, you have no idea. I've been doing nothing but messing with cameras and lighting for the last few days. I'm very sweaty right now. I hope that doesn't uh, pick up. Uh, but you don't look shiny at all. Oh, thank God. I'm, I, I have a layer of pancake. Uh, um, but let's, let's do some judging. I know what, uh, Chucky's in for. I had a first time on this show too. So, uh, let's get to work, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under dueling decades rules. The judges coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five dueling decades categories movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie, after all five rounds, we'll go to a final wild card round. Remember, duelers, to review the show, 
like, subscribe, and play along at home. It's time for more Dueling Decades. All right, let's go right down to our judge, the media king of the North, Mr. Joe Finley, for the coin toss, which will be between <laughs> Man Crush and newcomer Chucky. Oh, Chucky. All right, we're going to do it, buddy. We're going we're gonna to break you in, and I'm going to do that with a digital dollar. Okay, awesome. so the head is heads. Is that from Harvey Dent? Was that from directly from? <laughs> no, this one's got two sides. This has got John Quincy Adams on one side. Everybody's favorite John Adams. Nice. Okay, call it in the air. Tails. Oh, that's John Quincy Adams' beautiful face on there. It's a, it's oh, a head. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right, man crush, you know what that means. You win the coin toss, and you get to select our first category. All right, let's go with everybody's favorite. Let's go with hot products. All right. All right, so let's go to August 3rd, 1977. This one right here is pretty iconic and basically a watershed moment for personal computers. That being said, the computer was a notorious piece of shit. Uh, the Tandy Corporation, they put out the TRS-80 for sale uh, starting in August of 1977, and they marketed what most people would call the Trash 80. So if you ever heard somebody say, oh, I had a Trash 80, they're talking about the TRS-80. But they marketed this as the first mass-produced personal computer and i've heard people say this before and it's pretty damn true especially in this case just because you're the first does not mean you're the best uh obviously compared to like today's standards this desktop is miserably underpowered uh if you had a calculator it probably is on par with this bad boy but for the mere price of six hundred dollars which is twenty seven hundred dollars in 2021 you can get your hands on a 12 inch monochrome monitor a built-in cassette data recorder and four kilobytes of ram Whoa. four kilobytes of ram on the flip side at least it came packaged with two games you had blackjack and a game that i have no fucking clue how to play backgammon so you got that right there and uh but here's the thing so in the first month of this tandy they took ten thousand orders but unfortunately, they were only expecting to sell around 1,000 for the entire year of 1977, 1978. So if you ordered one of these, you were mostly, you were waiting months to receive one of these. You were not going to get your order like tomorrow. If you went to the store, they had to order this thing. The thing was this, like Tandy, they were basically like a leather company or some shit for like 50 years. And they only got into electronics two years prior to 1977 when they hit pay dirt with CB radios. But then by 1977, creepy dudes stopped buying vans and the CB craze just fell off a cliff and they recommitted themselves to the trash 80. And listen, some people, they may have dug their TRS 80. I know I loved my Commodore 128 at the time. However, it just wasn't a good computer, much like the Atom of the 80s, which I've talked about before the Packard Bell of the 90s, they were just synonymous with sucking. So I give you the TRS-80, August 3rd, 1977. All righty. All right, Chucky, let's toss it over to you. What do you have for the hot products round? Well, hot products, August of 1987 was pretty booming when it came to the video gaming at home consoles. Uh, of course, most of us had the NES or an Atari in 1987, uh, and there's a lot of good games released in 1987, but we're doing the bad. 
So um, I had to dig a little bit. Um, you know, in 87, we had like Mike Tyson's Punch-Out came out for NES. We had Rambo. <laughs> I think Legend of Zelda even came out the first one in 87. Uh, but, you know, NES was on top of their game then. Um, yeah, but the, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm bringing to the table is the other 8-bit console uh, that was renamed and redesigned in 1987 for overseas and um, UK and uh, Brazil release. Um, it was redesigned casing from the original Mark III, it was called, uh, console, uh, which had been released uh, in the uh, Japanese market in 1985. Uh, the game console then released in North America market in June of 1986 to compete with, directly compete with Nintendo uh, Entertainment uh, System, <laughs> which uh, had been released in the same market later um, and became uh, direct competition, like I said. Um, the original console models uh, used both cartridges and a card, a credit card size card uh, format known as card, uh, a card load. Uh, accessories for the console included a, a light gun similar to the Nintendo, uh, 3D glasses that worked with a range of specialty uh, design games. Uh, NES did uh, not have that at all. Uh, later, the model was redesigned and uh, they removed the card slot, turning it uh, into a strictly cartridge-only system that was uh, incompatible with the 3D glasses. Uh, although the library was smaller for this console, uh, with fewer well-reviewed games than the NES, uh, due to part that any, the Nintendo licensing policies required platform uh, exclusivity. Uh, though this system had never improved hardware, it failed to overturn Nintendo's significant market uh, share advantage in Japan and North America. However, uh, it did attain significantly more success in Europe and Brazil in 1987 with uh, launch titles such as Action Fighter, which was the action game, Black Belt, karate game, Choplifter, helicopter sim game, Ghost House, spooky game, Pro Wrestling, wrestling game. <laughs> Hang On, motorcycle game. Gangster Town, a shooting game that was with the light gun like the Nintendo had. And Rocky, based on the film, a boxing oh, game. game. Uh, of course, I'm talking about the Sega Master System that was released in the UK and Europe, Brazil, released in August of 1987. A system that I still, to this day, wouldn't mind having and never knew anybody growing up had one. Everybody had a Nintendo yeah. and went at a Master System. Mike Ranger had one. Yeah. Yeah, uh, basically, yeah, exactly. People <laughs> like him at it. Yeah. I think he's he still has that's why one. he's that's why he's awesome. That's why I love Mike Rangers, because you know, he's the only person I know that would probably have a master system. Oh, we actually have to mention that. Mike Ranger, if you miss the episode, who was the judge on that episode? That would be me. That was Joe. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mike Ranger had nineteen seventy eight, I believe, in that episode, and he came with a pick from nineteen seventy three. <laughs> he had to pull out a full redaction apology he was embarrassed and now he's been suspended from the show indefinitely oh, no. i was gonna ask why isn't he here so now i know that all right answer question answered we'll <laughs> we'll see what happens to mike ranger if mike ranger comes right. back banned. Okay. mike he's dead to wow. me <laughs> i think this was pushed down from uh from joe finley the media king of the north said no suspended indefinitely so we'll see uh we'll see <laughs> We'll see what happens. All right, guys. So we'll jump over to My Hot Products. Uh, for My Hot Products this week, we are once again going to give the old comics rack a spin. Uh, but this time, screw Marvel, screw DC, and screw Image. I want my comics from the same place I get my oversized pants from. Well, 
not my oversized pants. All my pants are oversized, but most people's oversized pants. So let's go straight to the ad for this one. Jenko Industries is proud to present to you a true tale of epic proportions. Get ready for some high-speed action and excitement as we follow the accounts of Flamehead, the adventurer who takes life to the limit. He always meets the challenges of being a kid head-on and is always decked out in the latest Jenko gear because there's no glory in being a hero if you don't dress the part, the ad says. (laughs) Another ad for this one says, The coolest kid in town is now the coolest comic in the world. Join the fun as Flamehead, alongside his pet termite Woody, deals with the local bully Norman. Norman and his ever-faithful dog Monty are on a constant quest to dethrone Flamehead as the king of cool. And speaking of cool, you'll also get to meet some of Flamehead's friends, including Betty, Flamehead's number one girl. Nags, the only girl with the skills and speed to keep up with Flamehead. And Wolfgang, Flamehead's very own nutty professor. So get ready for some high-speed action and excitement as we jump on board and follow the continuing saga of Flamehead. 32 awesome pages in full digital color. And you'd actually think that because it's Janko, you'd actually get an oversized first issue. (laughs) But no, instead they decided to put out a mini promo comic as episode as issue number zero the month before, and then they cheaped out on issue number one. So, and then they closed the comic ad with the horrible tagline, Evolution Pocket Sized to Fit in Your Jinkos. I give you Flamehead number one, August 1998. How many raves did he go to while he was taking special care? <laughs> Did he have a chain? He better had a chain wallet on that uh, on those Jenkos. I think that was probably his weapon. Is he'd swing the chain? I was going to say the chain. The chain wallet is, is standard. You have to have those with the Jenkos. <laughs> I did not know that existed. Fuck. I, I used to draw when I used to draw comic books back in the day, like little indie comics. I had a guy with Jenkos on. And he had the chain wallet. So so it was when you said that it directly reminded me of that character I drew. All right, let's toss it down to our judge, Joe Finley. For the verdict on the Hut Products round. What a start, guys. Well done. Uh, man, uh, so right off the bat with a Man Crush, the TRS-80. Um, yeah, I've heard the Trash 80. I get really irked by the laziness of people, especially people in tech, when they make fun of things like that. It's like I have so many in TV. You'll have these people who'll go up and he's like, oh, more like blah, 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 blah. Like it, whatever pun about the piece of equipment. And I'm just, oh, kill me. So um, <laughs> I, I get that. And I obviously get people's, you know, uh, frustration with technology. But I mean, at the beginning, people should be happy to get anything. There's barely computers out. Yeah, so. we're really going to play backgammon. Fuck. Yeah, exactly. And like blackjack, like you got... So they had the ability to count up to 21 with four kilobytes of power. Well, you could have bought an Apple. <laughs> yeah, you could have. But Apple IIe? Forget about it. Um, oh, but but yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like, good, good. Well, I mean, like, it, it's it's a good pick, but it's like one of those kind of eh, to the dustbin of history kind of things, I guess. Um, Chucky, you bring the Sega Master System. You now more know more than one person who has owned a Sega Master System. That was my first system. Half of the games you named, I owned. I had Gangster Town. I had Hang On. I had um, 
What else did I have? I had Wonder Boy. I had Zaxxon 3D. That's Rocky. The glass. You have I Rocky. I didn't have Rocky. <laughs> Um, I had a bunch of weird ones. You know that thing like in The Simpsons where it's like, I know what game every little boy's been asking for. And then she ends up getting like Lee Carvello's putting challenge. I got a lot yeah. of those games. It was like, oh, I know what the game that everybody wants. But I had Altered Beast, baby. Nice. Altered yeah, Beast. So go. forget about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great system. Definitely like underrated for being just because of what it was going up for against. For an 8-bit? Yeah. For yeah. an 8-bit system. It was oh, so much shit. I mean, that's... Uh-huh. And the same thing with it. It, I think they both fall in the same category. The the Trash Eighty was yeah. once it was named the Trash Eighty. Who's gonna buy something called Trash Eighty when everybody's calling it that? I agree. You know, I so agree. I agree with what you said. Yeah, and then um, Mark Flamehead has lost all meaning. You said Flamehead so many times that it's like the the word has lost all meaning. But I commend you for just the utter commitment to delivering <laughs> that dist- and then we have Negs, the only one able to keep up with fame, Flamehead and you're saying Flamehead like it's like he's got stakes to him for right, everybody right. right? It's it's like saying like Lobo's the only one who could take on Superman I'm like I know who Superman is, that's a lot but you're like Flamehead, I'm like who this guy? Was anybody else picturing like a bootleg Ghost Rider when he said that? Yeah, that's what I was yeah. thinking No, it's, it's exactly what you'd think it's a little punk kid in Jenko's <laughs> Oh I remember, yeah. yeah. I kind of, I vaguely remember the uh, the uh, character icon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember the crown. The crown was the big one. He yeah. came. Yeah. He came accessorized with an anal bead necklace. I certainly <laughs> hope so. <laughs> um, my heart, well, my well, my mind tells me I'd go with Flamehead because that is <laughs> insane. But my heart goes with the Sega Master System. It's such a fun, it was such a fun system. I got made fun of so much for that being the system I had when everybody else had the, uh, the Nintendo. I eventually got a Nintendo and I had them both at the same time and I played them both equally. But we're going to give Chucky his first point right here, baby. Woo! All right. Congrats. Thank you. I almost felt like I was cheating on that one because, you know, I, I do like the Master System, but, <laughs> you know, not compared to Nintendo back then. I'm sure it was frowned upon, you know, it wasn't. Wasn't as cool as Nintendo. Well, it's like me when I had the uh, Turbo Graphics 16. Oh God, love oh, the Turbo Graphics. And you nobody just, had said, it. Nobody had yeah, the Turbo. I knew graphics. a guy. A guy down the block from me had it, and he used to let me borrow it sometimes. We would barter, and I would have a Turbo Graphics on the weekend sometimes. Kind of a weird thing. <laughs> I love it. I have the Mini now. I, I own the Mini. The it's games. Were, I mean, the games were good. It was just like you yeah. could never find them. Right. Yeah. You know? They're really expensive now. Yeah, we're talking about like 1989. Them wasn't like you buy yeah. it online so like you had to go yeah. to like child world and they had the yeah. same shit every time you went there so i'm sure it was the same thing with the uh the masters but you couldn't there. find splatter house on any other console back then yeah, that's so. true <laughs> all right mr balzac you pick up the first point the power is in your awesome. hands you get to select our next category sweet all right um well i think i'm gonna go with tv Let's do TV. And my TV is from uh, the, uh, I found an article uh, in the Philadelphia Daily News, uh, Friday, to, uh, August 21st, 1987. And it's, uh, it says, future events was a, a little blurb. Uh, tomorrow, Channel 57 starts broadcasting the new POWW, Powerful Women of Wrestling. Television matches Saturday at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m., 
promoter Dave McLean, formerly of the Glow, a gorgeous ladies of wrestling, brings the POW team to Veterans Stadium on uh, September 1st uh, with 15 match card. Uh, tickets are $10, $15, and $25, which aren't bad for wrestling tickets, uh, are available at Ticketron and Teletron. Remember Ticketron, yep, guys? Yep. Jeez. <laughs> T-I-X-X. So, um, yeah, so- <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about in 87. Uh, David McLean of Glow fame went on to, uh, went, it said back to Indianapolis, assuming he's a native of Indianapolis and was in Las Vegas doing Glow at the time uh, and started POW with the help of uh, some talent he brought from Glow uh, with him, like Natasha the Russian, uh, Brandy May, formerly the farmer's daughter, and Essence, aka Envy. Uh, Powell only lasted a few years, ending in 1990, so 87 to 90. Uh, no reasoning, couldn't find anything why uh, that McLean left Glow in 87. Um, he did help create and build Glow as a brand out of Las Vegas. Uh, Glow was what I recall at the time, uh, one of those late night TV shows that everyone saw, you know, that was past your bedtime and you would turn on a real local channel and Glow would be there. You know, Dave McLean sitting in his um, in his phone booth trying to uh, book the uh, Glow Girls. Uh, uh, found in 2019, 2019 video interview with him and he looks exactly the same almost. He might have gained a little bit of weight, but uh, he was quoted to saying uh, women wrestling was just as good or more, not more, more maybe more exciting and male wrestling uh he was proud and uh to bring uh, some credit cred to the uh, sport and was only se- it was only seen in the 80s back then and associated with uh oil or mud wrestling with female wrestling uh pow tv premiered founded uh by david uh, mclean uh wrestling promoter david mclean a promoter of uh, vince mcmahon levels uh, in my humble opinion uh at least for the women's revolution in august of uh, 1987 wow damn well, thanks for bringing that up because I just posted that on our Facebook was a couple of days ago. Yeah, and Mark was like, "Oh, pow, nice find." Yeah, yeah <laughs> right. I, I I came across I came across that yesterday. I was like at the land. I was like, "Oh, this is actually yeah." That's even though one. it's a little blurb, it's actually kind of significant that uh that started no that started in eighty seven. Um, I didn't even know to, I guess, McLean was he did both. Me neither. Yeah, that's another thing I did not know he was associated with that or Wow, which is, Wow is now basically Wow and uh, I think it's Shimmer. Shimmer yeah. is what we had in uh, in, in the, uh, Chicago yep. here. Um, that's a big um, where you know Tessa Blanchard and all these you know big names came from. So yeah, when I hear Wow, I think of Opie and Anthony. It's always going to be Whip 'Em Out Wednesday. That's <laughs> <laughs> just me. All right, Man Crush, what did you bring for the television round? All right, well, nothing as good as POW. Let's go to August 3rd of 1977. So surprisingly, I got a show that began in August, which I was pretty shocked by. That said, I was less surprised to learn that this show was a serious piece of shit. And not only did it start in August of 1977, but it also ended in August of 1970 after just five episodes. So with that being said, here's a review of the show from Newsday entitled NBC goes for the bottom. And here's an abbreviated version of that uh, article. And obviously it's written by somebody who hates Laverne and Shirley. All right. So it says the Calicax on NBC Wednesdays at 9 30 PM is an attempt to tap into a whole new audience that has yet to be discovered the particular audience they're inspired to find 
that would be an audience that would find Laverne and Shirley too highbrow to digest. The new NBC summer hit, and he's saying that he does not mean it. The new NBC <laughs> summer hit, The Calicax, makes the Beverly Hillbillies seem like a sophisticated comedy written by Woody Allen. It's not only dumb, it is dumb. Even if there is an audience out there below the level of Laverne and Shirley, I seriously doubt there would be a single reason for a network to program for that group. The Calicax is immoral in the sense that it is deliberately attempting to run down, crawl up to, or creep behind the audience that might be intellectually uplifted by Laverne and Shirley. And this, this is where they get nasty. That's not even nasty. Hanging people in public was once a popular form of entertainment. Not bathing was popular in the 19th century as well. But there are not enough uppers that you can take to justify this show. But if you go that route, I, sus I suspect watching the Calicax may be harmful to your mental health. And it should be labeled with a discretionary warning. And that warning should read. And this is all in caps. If you weren't stupid before you saw the show, you will be afterwards. Seriously, if it is true that television affects viewers, as being argued in the case of violent TV shows, then a steady diet of the Calicax should also be in question. The NBC executives who allowed this abomination to come to air are cruel, diabolical men, and no punishment is too extreme. I give you the Calicax from August 3rd, 1977. Jeez, reviewer, tell me what you really think. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I never even heard of that. <laughs> never heard of it. And is that that was a, wow. So this it was released August third, nineteen seventy seven. That article that I found was late August. It was like August twenty sixth or something when he wrote that. So already like four episodes were out, and he was putting this out, and it just sounds like a total pile of shit. It's very hard to find. I found clips. Found no episodes. They burned so, it. Totally lost. Yeah, yeah. If you go looking for that one, good luck. <laughs> now I'm going to put it on my list now. <laughs> <laughs> Need to find it. Just remember the disclaimer. All right. So for my television selection, uh, we're going to the night of Saturday, August 8th, 1998. We're heading up to the Black Hills of South Dakota for a little pay-per-view action with WCW NWO Road Wild 1998. Our commentary team for this one is Tony Schiavone, Bonnie B. Heenan, and the professor, Mike Tanay. Uh, this show had a pay-per-view buy rate of 1.30 and featured a concert by Travis Tritt himself following the main event. About 10,000 people were in attendance for this show surrounding kind of the makeshift arena that was set up in the middle of the Sturgis Biker Rally. So the ring was on top of an elevated platform set in the middle of the road, so, a few episodes back, I picked Bash at the Beach 1998. Now, that was the one where Carl Malone and Dennis Rodman wrestled. And that seemed to work for WCW. So, let's not try it again the very next month. But this time, let's not get an actual athlete. Who's the least athletic person on television? Let's get Jay fucking Leno. <laughs> so, the main event for this pay-per-view would feature Diamond Dallas Page and Jay Leno taking on Eric Bischoff and Hollywood Hulk Hogan. But first, let's take a look at the rest of the card. The show starts off with two of the biggest real-life tough guys in all of wrestling. We see Ming defeat the Barbarian in an absolute slugfest of a singles match. 
then the public enemy defeat the dancing fools made up of Alex Wright and Disco Inferno. That one ends with Disco going through three tables stacked on top of each other, which Bobby Heenan calls your typical Greco-Roman triple table smack. After that, we get a Ravens rules match where Saturn defeats Canyon and Raven. Uh, and then another match after this is absolutely fantastic. It's Rey Mysterio Jr. defeating Psychosis. Long feud between Rey and Psychosis throughout their careers. One of their better matchups. And then after this, we get Stevie Ray defeating Chavo Guerrero Jr. Can Chavo ever win a fucking match, please? And then it's time for everyone to get up and go take a piss because we get Steve McMichael versus Brian Adams. Adams Mongo. loses to Mongo, but if you watch this match, you're the one who really lost. And then following <laughs> that, we have the WCW World Cruiserweight title match. Now, if there's any reason to go and watch this pay-per-view, this is it. Absolute banger of a match. We have Chris Jericho losing the title to Juventud Guerrera. Now, this match is... It's one of the better Chris Jericho WCW matches. Matter of fact, recently in AEW, he wrestled Juventud Guerrera. This match was the catalyst for that match we saw recently. Now, after that, we have the NWO Invitational Battle Royal, uh, which featured both factions of the NWO in an over-the-top battle royal with Goldberg. So Goldberg in a battle royal, that's kind of just like playing a kid in video games who only knows one move and just keeps doing the move over and over. The whole match was slow and absolutely atrocious. The two NWO factions kind of faced off against each other. Goldberg's kind of just wandering around the ring, not knowing what to do. He picks his spots, and while he picks up all but three eliminations, oddly enough, the Giant got out Lex Luger early on, Nash eliminated Hall, and then Nash eliminated himself, going after Hall on the outside. Goldberg ends up winning the whole thing. Fucking waste of time. Sure, then okay. we get to the main event. And if we thought it couldn't get any worse from here, Diamond Dallas Page and Jay Leno with Kevin Eubanks defeating Eric Bischoff and Hollywood Hogan with Miss Elizabeth and the Disciple, a.k.a. my beautician, Brutus the Barber <laughs> Beefcake. So Jay, Jay Leno comes out wearing a pair of Zuba knockoffs and a Tonight Show shirt that looks like he grabbed it right off the rack at the NBC gift shop. <laughs> and they actually protect all the wrestlers here, with Leno getting the only real offense on Bischoff, which consisted of a low blow, ramming Bischoff's head into the ring post a couple of times, and then two of the worst punches I have ever seen. Thank God for DDP, who, much like Jake Roberts and Scott Hall, he saved this one. So the match ends with, Leno, with, with Jay Leno pinning Eric Bischoff, after Kevin Eubanks hits him with a diamond cutter, I give you WCW NWO Ro Road Wild 1998. Check it out on Peacock. I got my NWO bash brick right here. I have you know to get it, one of those. You know what would have made that better? This is during the Monday Night Wars, and they did not bring out Brian Bosworth, Stone Cold, <laughs> at Sturgis. <laughs> Like, yeah. what the fuck? That was a missed opportunity for sure. God. Now, keep in mind, this all takes place the same month over on the other side up in New York. You had Stone Cold and The Undertaker at SummerSlam. Could have done yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Stone Cold versus... Stone Cold and Letterman versus... <laughs> Letterman. Versus Leno and Jeez. Kevin Eubanks. God. I remember those days. 
the good old WCW days. That was when they they were taking they were going to nosedive there when they had the two NWOs yep. going against each other. That was pretty much almost towards the end when they went out when they went went under. Yeah, Wolfpack baby. <laughs> Wolfpack for life. <laughs> All right, let's throw Woo! it over to the media king of the north, Joe Finley, for his verdict on the television round. Uh, wow. Um, you just melted my brain a little bit. Uh, so let's just do these in order. Um, so Chucky, the powerful women of wrestling, you brought a lot of cool information. None of us knew uh, that it was from uh, the guy who brought us glow. Uh, obviously, shout out to Hollywood, former judge of this wonderful show. Who still looks great. Still looks fantastic. I sent you soap, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, she sent us soap. That's I still right. have it. She'll probably be mad at me because awesome. we've only used it like four times. It just sits on the sink. <laughs> well, because we got to wait for her to come back on to send more soaps. You don't want you don't want to be wasteful. I get it. Actually, Mike Ranger and I were just waiting till uh, Halloween to start using it again because it's got bats on. Oh, that makes sense. I'm on board. Uh, but what's weird is, OK, so he does glow. Then he does pow. Then he does. Wow. Uh, it's like one <laughs> doing one of them is like you know pioneering doing the second one is seeing if you could kind of like uh you know uh catch lightning in a bottle a second time and then doing the third one it starts to feel more like it's a fetish <laughs> than anything else um in the i i never watched the show but i heard in the show he marries a wrestler, and I heard in real life that wasn't true, which is surprising. What? No, fake wedding and a wrestling thing? Forget <laughs> it. It never happens. Never. Yeah, no, that's it's it's interesting. It's uh, the eighties had a lot of weird ones. Remember that like bodybuilders? Yeah, well, that was nineties. Uh, yeah. That was the, the, oh, uh, was that the early nineties? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, WWF okay. that had that. The body yeah, wrestling and it was federation. So many stupid ones in there, but pow! I just uh, it couldn't recreate glow like i like when you think of women's wrestling you think glow you don't think pow uh wow maybe some people but glow um the calicax man crush that sounds like a like one of those dr seuss characters from one of those books that got taken <laughs> off shelves um but i've never heard of this I still don't know that I know what it is based on what was described. All I know is it made somebody really angry. Like it, like that, the producer of that show had sex with that guy's wife. There's no, way. <laughs> it's actually, it's based off of a book, but it's also kind of a ripoff of the Beverly Hillbillies, but oh, they yeah. moved to California. It's about like people down in Louisiana or some shit like that. And yeah, supposedly they're all dumb and they just play off that whole thing I, it's just, like green acres a little bit <laughs> they didn't put too much time into it is what it nice. sounds like yeah that sounds like it goes right into the old dustbin with that one um remember the one i had with the f it was just the fat couple being fat and that's yes. all that the show was <laughs> i feel like that would be a good like must-see tv like 8 30 and 9 o'clock show <laughs> Back to back. Wasn't that yeah, called like yeah. the dumplings or something? It yes. was the dumplings. <laughs> yes. The dumplings and the Calicax Wednesday nights on NBC. <laughs> Can't miss it. <laughs> uh, but the only thing that would follow that would be this road wild thing. Because, oh, my God. I was the judge on the uh, on the last one, the Bash at, Bash at the Beach, and nothing made me angrier as a wrestling fan the WCW during this time because they legitimately thought 
that that was something they're like, this is going to tip the scales in our favor. Forget about all that. I think it's because like Leno just tipped the scales in his favor against Letterman for like, he was like, Leno, Leno's the key. Leno's the ratings key. And they brought him in. And then like the fact that Kevin Eubanks was even there just made me have a mild stroke. I don't know if you saw me in the corner, but uh, again, a like a good, not great, but a good card. I love me some Meng. He's like the most badass human being. Oh, yeah. You you knew just by watching. You didn't have to hear any like, you know, shoot stories or anything like that about him. You knew he was a friggin beast. Yeah. Um, the Alex Wright and the Disco Inferno. I remember that tag team. And I remember feeling bad for Alex Wright for getting sucked into that. <laughs> uh, the Saturn Canyon and Raven would have been something I would have loved to watch. Jericho and Hoovy Juice, man. I'd be all over that. But that Jay Leno thing. I just like forget about the Travis Tritt following the main event with a concert <laughs> forget about the fact that That's the whole epic. thing took place at sturgis well they knew they had two matches at the end of that that were just complete dog shit so they didn't mm-hmm. want all the crowd to just leave after the jericho match so that's why they put travis tritt after if you knew uh, that though why would you have that fucking match i mean think yeah. about this <laughs> think think about this right here conan took over for leno and conan got canceled why because the old ass people that were watching Leno didn't watch right. Conan. Yeah. So what old ass people were going to watch WCW at Sturgis? They were already at Sturgis. They were already there on their bikes. They had nothing better to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, what this... a terrible idea. <laughs> it was brutal. It's not a wonder that they tanked in 2000. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, well, absolutely. But because of that, because of that insanity and that mix of good and bad, I got to give Mark the points for this one because, geez, like, ah, sorry. But seriously, if uh, if you watch the Calicax, make sure (laughs) you read the disclaimer. Sounds like a like the next like (laughs) virus or something. The Calicax. Twenty twenty two. You might get a Calicax. Calicax. Everyone's gonna catch the Calicax. Calicax nineteen. Is there a vaccine against Calicax? (laughs) Yeah, don't watch it. Yeah, I think it was just poor quality. (laughs) It's called called abstinence. They haven't perfected it yet. (laughs) All right, guys. So I pick up the point in that round. I take control of the board. Heading into our last one-point round. Uh, You know what? Let's make this the music round. So my worst of music selection is a CD released August 18th, 1998. Uh, I present to you an album that I remember hearing in my house over and over as a kid, pouring out of my mom's home office where she used to do all of her Amway paperwork. So this was in her collection of what she called listening music. There was CDs that she'd pick out of the BMG catalog, you know, albums like Yanni, various orchestral favorites, and then Ethereal. Yeah, Ethereal New Age (laughs) music stuff. Sometimes she'd pick out the CDs on name alone. This includes the time that she ordered the greatest hits of Soundgarden because she thought it was such type music. But on this purchase, she knew the names, all three of them to be exact. Dubbed the Concert of the Century, I present to you, for your listening displeasure, The Three Tenors, Paris, 1998. Cashing in on the triumphant debut of their CD in 1994, The Three Tenors, Jose Cutreras, Placido Domingo, and Luciano Pavarotti reunited on July 10th, 1998 for a recording of a live concert special in Paris to celebrate France's hosting of the World Cup. 
This time they were supported by conductor James Levine and the Orchestra de Paris. So let's go to a review in the Gazette out of Montreal, Quebec, Canada, August 22, 1998. The reunion of the three tenors last month in Paris was foreseen by many opera fans as a nostalgia act. The gentlemen in question are all way past their prime, yet turned up with their voices intact. Maybe the prospect of nearly 2 billion television viewers functioned as an elixir of youth. So if you're really into opera, go ahead and check it out. It's the three tenors, Paris 1998. But for me, my money, nothing gets better than the sultry sounds of Enrico Palazzo. <laughs> I give you the three tenors, Paris 1998. All right, Man Crush, what did you bring for the music round? All right, so let's go to August 16th, 1977. And being that this is a worst of episode, I'm going to start packing on the sadness. No releases could top this, uh, this music news. It shocked not only the United States, but most likely the world. This really, uh, you know what? It doesn't need much of a sell right here. This is without a doubt the worst music selection that could come up and pretty much guaranteed to win this round. So I'm just going to say that right now uh, with that, I'll leave this to president Jimmy Carter, who weighed in on the situation with a statement of his own. And I quote Elvis Presley's death deprives our country of a part of itself, his music and personality fusing the styles of white country and black rhythm and blues permanently changed the face of American pop culture. His following was immense and he was a symbol to the people the world over. The vitality, rebelliousness, and good humor of this country. And just put the hammer down on this awful event that was Elvis's death. At the vigil in front of Graceland, two teenage girls from Louisiana were struck down and killed by a hit-and-run driver. Oh. Treacy Wheeler, she swerved towards a crowd of 2,000, hitting three girls who were, uh, they were talking to a policeman. Two of the girls died. Third girl suffered a fractured pelvis. And then on top of that, four men planned to break into the mausoleum where Elvis Presley's body was entombed uh, so they could steal it for ransom. But they were arrested. Three of the suspects were arrested near the mausoleum at Forest Hill Cemetery shortly after midnight. The fourth idiot, he twisted his knee while running away from the police and he was arrested later that morning. Uh terrible travesty there was a lot of stuff as you could see there was a lot of side stories that i wanted to point out that this this was monumental news i think we we lived through the michael jackson death it was way worse yeah. this is the death of the king elvis aaron presley at the mere age of 42 oh wow that's a downer all right chucky let's see how you can follow that one Okay, I just want to say, uh, Mark, you know, you, you uh, really did a good job with that holding it together, saying that she broke her pelvis. And not, I tried. You know, yeah, I was, I was yeah, holding it back, man. And, you know, and he also died on the toilet, so that's well, an even that, bigger bummer. That's a misconception. <laughs> he died in his bathroom, fully clothed on the floor. Right. Okay. So basically, it was it, that the rumors. Yeah, so the rumors, his, uh, <laughs> his bride-to-be at the time was the one that found him. And actually, oh. I wanted to like add her into this because she actually had something. She had like some. Uh, she went back to uh, to Memphis and did some kind of like talk or whatever Q and A. Uh, but I missed it. I couldn't find any information on it. I think that was like August twelfth or something. Oh wow! Uh, I forgot her name. She wasn't a very prominent name, like especially in 
Elvis yeah. lore, everybody kind of hated her. But uh, oh, I'm sure she was like the Yoko. Yeah, crop. but from what I <laughs> like, from what I gonna... read, uh, and a lot of stuff that I read, she actually put a book out in 2014. I can't remember her name now, but uh, a lot of the stuff was unwarranted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it definitely wasn't her fault. Well, I'm going to lighten the mood here. And uh, I found something in the News Journal out of Wilmington, Delaware. I'm in Delaware. Uh, <laughs> August 28th, 1987, taking place at 7 p.m. at the Valley Forge Music Fair in Devon, Pennsylvania. But it was reported in Delaware. Uh, <laughs> uh, charged by phone again, Ticketron. Ticketron, $16 tickets. Tax and parking included. Those were the days. Damn. Think that was Sixteen bucks. Got now it's parking in. Dude, the yeah, concert I'm going to tomorrow is a shithole, and it's twenty dollars <laughs> for parking. That's cash. You you, oh my god, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. That's ass. <laughs> so this lineup we have at our festival, the lineup was the Corkalinka dancers. I almost didn't say that right. Smoking, <laughs> eighty-seven Grammy Award winner. Jimmy Stir, yes! not Star. Jimmy Stir and his orchestra, hot, hot. Yep. Headlining this barn burner, none other than Myron Florin from the Lawrence Welk Show. Now that's fire right there. <laughs> but apparently, people as far as Delaware all the way to Pennsylvania are huge polka fans. A bit of a fun fact is that I grew up in a town on outside outskirts of Chicago called Berwyn. Berwyn, a huge pole has pu- huge polka roots and uh festivals with accordion music, wasted bohemians dancing, pierogies, sausages, and beer. I'm telling you this because I'm disappointed to report that I found zero coverage on this festival <laughs> of polka proportions. It brings me to the conclusion that this night had to have ended. And no other, uh, no other way than a bunch of arrests, chaos levels of Woodstock '99, or an annual Juggalo <laughs> gathering. But we have the Polka Festival of 1987 out of Devon, Pennsylvania, on August 28th, 1987. <laughs> Why I cheered for Jimmy Stir? He his hometown <laughs> is 10 minutes from my house. Hence, why he's so, probably playing. Yeah, when you pull into it's uh, Florida, New York. It's right by Warwick, New York. When you pull into Florida, New York, it says home of Jimmy Stir. Jimmy Stir, not Jimmy Star. Jimmy Stir, yep. The black dirt <laughs> the region. The king of uh, the, the uh, Northeast, apparently. <laughs> Pick up some onions and listen to some poker. Forget about it. <laughs> All right, let's turn it over to Joe Finley for his verdict on the music round. Oh, so much to discuss. Um, the three tenors in Paris, uh, I want to give uh, Mark some credit. Cause if we remember the Seinfeld where you'd say, um, Pavarotti, Domingo and the other guy, well, you gave me the other guy first, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> you, you gave me his name right off the bat. I was kind of hoping you were going to say it like that with the other guy, but it's totally fine. You gave him some respect. I uh, threw a little Canada at me. You know me all too well. Uh, but, uh, it is the three tenors, yeah. um, Elvis's death. No question. It's uh, gigantic. I I did that one story. It was like his last concert that he did before he died or whatever. It was that special he did or whatever it was. Yeah. But he's like, there's no question. There's no question. It would be like all the Beatles dying at the exact, like at exactly the same time. Like Lennon was hard Clint enough. Crash, but wow. like, yeah, exactly. It just, yeah, that like would have 
rocked the world. And well, it did, but I mean, it like that's what that kind of thing does. Um, so yeah, there's no questioning that one. And uh, this wonderful polka fest, uh, <laughs> polka has a uh, has a nice place in my heart. Uh, St. Catharines, Ontario, is the home of Walter Ostinek, uh, the Canadian King of Polka, and uh, maybe the original media <laughs> King of Kiss the Me Polka, 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 Polka. <laughs> <laughs> and what's really funny is I think that actually a little bit of John Candy's thing came from that because John Candy and Walter Ostinek yes, look yes, identical. Yes. <laughs> when, yes. it, when it came to like the way and john candy was from yes you're right yeah. that totally connects i bet so yeah. i mean you can't you can't deny an accordion once you're an accordion playing i mean it's over no. you know it's like i'm just i'm in it man <laughs> and i will give you one little uh polka story i once uh interviewed walter ostenek in his music shop in uh, downtown st Catharines, and he was such a like a tv pro he'd been on so many times we were trying to explain because usually you have to explain the person how to like put on the microphone and stuff he's like no i'm good and he just dropped trow right in front of us and like started like put like attaching the mic pack and doing all this stuff and we're just like this is a really old man who's pantsless in front of us right now oh, what do we do what do we do that's awesome but a polka man but, too <laughs> over the balls but yeah i mean other than the fact that I know the Lawrence Welk show, uh, everything else just kind of escapes me. Jimmy Sturm meant more to Man Crush than he did to me, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but, I mean, obviously, he called his shot and he got it right. Uh, you know, Man Crush gets the point on this one. Elvis is death. He gets me with, obviously, the bigger name, the bigger news, and the sadder story, because everybody knows that that's my jam. <laughs> <laughs> and fun fact, uh, growing up, my dad really never listened to music, but every once in a while I go in, my dad had a van. He had a conversion van, like all the way through high school, which is weird, right? Uh -huh. But he had like a tape collection. And I never heard this guy listen to music. Anytime I was ever in the car, it was always like the fan or whatever, like sports radio. But if you looked at his tape collection, it was all fucking polka music. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm like, who listens to this shit? My dad does. That's who does. Yeah, no, they, um, I heard recently someone hit me up and I don't know why I'm not, I'm not a huge Polka fan. I mean, I don't hate it, but as uh, in my hometown, there was someone that died recently and they had an estate sale and they had like all these like, you know, accordions. And this person was like the Polka King of like Berwin or like Chicago, like, you know, the Chicago suburbs or something. So I don't know what they I wish I knew their name, but it was pretty, uh, yeah. When I found that Polka thing, I'm like, oh, I gotta give props to Polka, you know, Polka, 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 yeah, Polka, Polka. <laughs> <laughs> Kiss me, Polka. It's actually fun. If you, big I'm Shibuya, sorry, Mark, big but if Shibuya. you, uh, if you go into your cable, everybody's got this, whether you know it or not, if you have cable, Go into the deep channels, go to the way deep end, like into the hundreds. There's this channel on there that's like uh, they have like tractor pulls and shit, but they also have like these polka dance offs on that same channel. So if you go and just look, it's probably like multiple hours of just joyous watching. Just drink a couple beers, watch these Midwestern folks dancing to polka in the middle of like it just looks like they're in a gymnasium but they're having the time of their fucking lives telling you yeah so uh Getting some beer and some flowers yeah, just good, watch man. that shit it's a good time <laughs> Dude, jimmy stir shout out to jimmy stir <laughs> all right man crush you pick up the point in that one tying this game you take control of the board we only got two categories left where are we going man uh 
I don't want to end on sadness, but I said last round that I had more sadness. Let's go to news. Alrighty. All right. So let's go to August 9th, 1977. This story right here, it actually began a bit over a year prior, but shit really hit the fan in the summer of 1977. It all culminated on this date. So we got here is one man that took all of New York city to its knees in the summer of 1977. Matter of fact, on the one year anniversary of this man's first killing, pretty much every female in the five boroughs was hiding in their house. All because this dude sent a threatening letter to the police the day before the anniversary. And everyone thought he was going to commit another murder on that date. So much so that the NYPD, they had hundreds of extra police officers on the streets. They had a task force of hundreds just waiting for something to happen. Now you got to think this is NYPD in the seventies. There's no budget. There's layoffs, all kinds of bad shit were happening. And they were pulling guys out of everywhere to be on every street corner to try to find this guy. Right. The good news was he didn't commit a murder on that date, but sadly he ended up committing his sixth murder a few days later. However, this time there was a witness that saw a police officer ticketing like this strange car that was parked near a fire hydrant. So long story short, the police cross-referenced the tickets from that night. They called the Yonkers Police Department about a Yonkers resident named David Berkowitz. And in a stroke of luck, the dispatcher on the other end knew Berkowitz. Matter of fact, the dispatcher, Wheat Carr, was the daughter of Sam Carr. And that's where the story gets super strange. I'm not going to go into it because it's long. And it's a series on Netflix right now called The Sons of Sam. Highly recommend it. I was hooked on it last night. I got up to like episode three or four. It's two o'clock in the morning. And I was like, I got to go to fucking bed and turn this shit off. Uh, the series, it makes some really interesting connections between the Carr family and David Berkowitz. So in the end, I'll just leave you with this. So you watch the series, seriously. But did the NYPD arrest one guy for a string of murders where other occult members were involved? Because when you look at the sketches for each murder, they're all different. Some of them look like the cars and they, none of them look like Berkowitz. Like, what the fuck? We'll probably never know the answer to that. It's really fucking strange. However, August 9th is the day that they arrested Son of Sam and he admitted that he was the guy. But if you watch that series on Netflix, meaning this has legs, Joe Finley, you heard that. Uh, you might see that Others might have been involved. Like last, I never knew any of this shit. So I watched that series last night and I was like, damn, this makes a lot of sense. It's really pretty fucked up, but it's just amazing that even if it was one guy, he brought a city of millions. We're talking about the whole five boroughs to their knees for like the entire summer of 1977 until they caught this guy. But I give you the arrest of son of Sam or perhaps uh, just a lackey of the cult. Interesting. All right, Chucky, what did you bring for the news round? Well, I hate to keep it on a somber note. Uh, August 12th, 1987, the Philadelphia Daily News reported had the unfortunate uh, report uh, of the passing of a beloved icon from the 80s. And uh, one of uh, many discoveries in my researching was uh, that she was a Chicago native, uh, born in Russia and came over here as a child. Uh, and got her start uh, right here in Chicago, um, working in a local barber shop. Uh, she was a manicurist most of her life. 
uh, and was approached in the barbershop by a, uh, a man who was in the biz of producing commercials for TV, uh, hearing her new unique voice um, and wanted to use her. Uh, she went on to do many commercials, uh, but hit it big in 1984 with the Wendy's hamburger restaurant chain, uh, hired her for two different commercials uh, that would go on um, to be so famous in the 80s uh, that her one line, where's the beef, referring to the burgers that were not from Dave uh, Thomas's joint, but uh, the smaller beef, uh, she was um, paid $50,000 for her Wendy's gig. Uh, also had uh, many appearances and work following on television and appeared as a guest timekeeper in WrestleMania 2. Uh, movies such as 1985's cult classic, The Stuff, where she uh, uttered the phrase, where's the stuff? Uh, well, yeah, where's the beef was basically a getter done of the 80s. Uh, bumper stickers, buttons, shirts, um, all because of this one actress, Clara Peller, rest in peace. Died on August 11, 1987. I own the board game. Cue the, uh, the soundbite. Where's the beef? <laughs> Where's the beef? Where's the beef? See, I would put that in there a lot until you know, it got really annoying on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I do it. Where's the beef? All right, gentlemen. Uh, my news story starts off where so many worst of news stories start out. With a paternity test. So Paula Johnson was in the midst of a paternity case when a court-ordered DNA test showed that her former boyfriend was not the father of her three-year-old daughter, Callie. And come to find out, she was not the mother either. After a search, it was found out that her three-year-old daughter, Callie, was actually switched at birth with a baby girl named Rebecca, born in the same hospital, same hospital just hours apart, to parents Kevin Chittam, 22 years old, and his 16-year-old cheerleader girlfriend, Whitney Rogers. And believe it or not, this is where the story gets worse. The day after the switch was discovered happened to be the 4th of July, and the parents who raised Rebecca were killed in a car accident just hours before officials planned to tell them that their daughter, Rebecca, actually belonged to Paula Johnson. So let's go to an article in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram August 18, 1998, where the headline reads, Mom Meets Daughter Switched at Birth. Over the weekend, the families were finally reunited as the video that was showed on the Today Show aired Paula and Callie meeting Rebecca for the very first time. The two girls jumped on a trampoline, they pitched horseshoes, and they splashed in the swimming pool. I can't describe it. I tried not to cry. It was really hard, Paula Johnson said on the Today Show on August 17th. But this is a worst of, and we can't end on a good note with them reuniting the families because Rebecca's grandparents won custody of the girl after the parents died, and after a three-year legal fight, the judge ruled that the children would just end up remaining with the families that raised them. So the families tried to work out a visitation schedule, but they couldn't get along, and the two girls actually kind of lost interest in visiting relatives that they don't even know. So Paula later sued the hospital for $31 million, but settled out of court for $1.25 million. The mix-up would actually be the catalyst to change hospital policy nationwide. So I give you, like the song says, reunited and it feels so good. Or or does it? Does it? <laughs> Where's the beef? <laughs> 
where's the beef? Where's the beef? All right, Joe Finley, let's throw it over to you. What is your verdict for the news round? Wow. Uh, we got another uh, strong three choices here. Um, Son of Sam, obviously one of the kind of premier uh, serial killers of the day is one of the ones that you know just by name really quick. Um, there's all of, there's too many out there, but he's one of the famous ones. He's one of the ones that really did it, like Prince. Not by murder, <laughs> just by name recognition. Um, Prince killed it, though. Yes, he did. It's cool. You, the things that you uh, brought up about uh, potentially being other people and stuff like that. It made me think of Arlington Road, that uh, classic bit where um, Jeff Bridges is talking about how people feel safer when they know it's it's what we it was one person and we got him and it's done. And then to have that kind of looming and stuff like that. That's that, uh, exactly what happened. Because it was it was an election year and yeah. everyone was pushing to no, 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 it was David Berkowitz. And these guys that are in this uh, this Netflix thing, they went to the police or they went to the D.A. rather to reopen the case. And D.A. said, no, we're good. And the shit's Oof. compelling. If you watch yeah. that show on Netflix, you're like, eh, maybe you should have. Yeah. Wow. But I will point out the fact that true crime is still kicking our ass, so we should be. Yeah, knocking well, them down whatever we get. <laughs> uh, Chucky, we're gonna go and we're gonna talk about the where's the beef lady. You've been giving a lot of love to Chicago in this one, and I gotta and I gotta enjoy that. But uh, yeah, it's it's funny because it's one of those things everybody knows it, and most people who know it don't even know why they know it. It's just because people like us yell where's the beef, like you know, a bunch of confused old people. I didn't know she was from Chicago either. So that was an epiphany for me too. I did not know she was. Uh, <laughs> Legit. My favorite thing about doing this show is learning those teeny tiny little details yeah. of things. Oh, yeah. And uh, so that's, that's really cool. Uh, it's not as cool that she died, but it was bound to happen. She was not a young lady. Oh, well. Oh, <laughs> where's the beef? No. <laughs> She, uh, no, all I was going to say is she died an older burger spokesperson than the guy who was the heart attack grill. He was like in his twenties when he died. Uh, but, and then Mark gives one of the, you know, premier, uh, retro story types of news story, which is the switched at birth. There's TV shows about it. There's all these things. One of those things you feel like is never true. Uh, but it is. I tell a quick story the day my daughter was born. Well, the next morning when I went to go and uh, pick them back up from the hospital, my uh, daughter is all done up. She was born in February, so she's in like winter gear and already strapped into the car seat, ready to go. I'm like, okay, let's do this. I scooped her up. We walk out the door. Alarms go bananas and nurses come (laughs) flying out like they're coming out of vents like they were coming from everywhere. And it was because they forgot to take the little bracelet off of them that keeps you from stealing your baby. Uh, I do. Needless to say, I triple checked Reese like 30 times before we left with him six years later. But they uh, run it over to the top of that thing. They were like, all right, come on, pull it off. No, they have one of those little (laughs) clicky things like the clothing stores to take it off. But like legit. Like I was late getting there because my wife, I had been up for like 70 hours because my wife went into labor. She was up for so long, but I had worked a pre, it was a whole thing. And I went home and went to sleep because there was no place for me to sleep there. And I fell asleep so hard that I woke up to my mother having tried to break into my house, but I had a chain lock on and she was pounding on a pot with a wooden spoon going, wake up, wake up. (laughs) And I realized that they were ready to leave. So 
Uh, so I go there and everything was a rush and a blur. And I went and then I just like lost my mind. I'm like, you don't do this to me. This is my first baby. Do that to me with my second baby when it would be a funny story. Um, so but that is a crazy story. I totally understand kind of the psychology of the kids of like just kind of giving up. on OK, this is my family. This is what it is. And it's a shitty story. It sucks. Uh, but I'm going to have to go with Nick on this one just because it, the story has legs. Uh, man, sorry. I'm going to have to go with man crush on this one because the story has <laughs> legs. I have like, two names. Nick? I have two names. <laughs> Nick Man Crush. I'm like, did I miss something? I know I'm new here, but <laughs> but uh, <laughs> when did Nick come in? Yeah, exactly. No, his legal name is Man Crush. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, and it's just like it's huge. It's like you said, it's questionable. It's weird. Uh, it was very high end, and like imagine living at a time when one person could make everybody shut themselves in like that million, like yeah. the biggest city like, in the United States. Exactly. All right. So yeah, I got to go, go and go and man crush. And it happened during that blackout. That's right. Oh, yeah. you know, so think about how people are probably fucked up. They're like, yeah. we got no power. And there was like, riots and not riots but like you know they were trash setting shit on fire they were looting chaos yeah and anarchy <laughs> yeah and then you got this dude shooting people like what yeah. the fuck uh cats and dogs living together <laughs> anyhow we're uh we're on the last round we got movies left and i'm gonna since i won this one i'm gonna defer i'm gonna give this one to chucky Ooh, chucky oh thank you chucky, all right i just want i'm gonna you, start look. it off with um <laughs> oh thank you buddy see i gotta show you my guys my my shirt too is kind of a a, th- a thing today with the uh the, of course the gpks cool. this will cool. be a good lead in nice. a lead in for my movie uh, choice um the movie i chose is infamous is in infamously bad uh an incarnation of the beloved novelty wax pack sticker cards that originated in the early 80s of course, like most popular things, it gets turned into a movie or a TV show at some point, you know, marketing. Uh, further hyped by uh, earlier in the month, uh, another retro icon hit the big screen, Masters of the Universe, starring Dolph Lundgren as the toy cartoon hero He-Man in this live-action adaption, uh, pulled in $17 million. Uh, but this other movie that came out a few weeks later, uh, we speak of did 1.6 million gross and pun intended there. <laughs> they did this on a cool million dollar budget that likely went straight into the costumes of the main protagonists of this shit show who were essentially little people in animatronic puppet heads that barely operated correctly during principal photography. Think TMNT 1990, but without the Henson Muppet <laughs> magic. Directed by Rod Amatow. Hope I said that right. I don't want to offend him. <laughs> who was mainly doing TV or rather TV movies like High School USA with Michael J. Fox. Uh, let's just say after this movie, he never directed again. True. Uh, this film also starred... Um, Mackenzie Aston, famous for his recent success on TV's Facts of Life and also being the son of Gomez Adams, John Aston didn't hurt. 
uh, in his film debut uh, as um, Dodger, the down on his luck Dodger. Uh, veteran actor of Broadway stage Anthony Newley as Captain Mancini in his first screen uh, role in 20 years, portraying a retired mu- magician who owns an antique store that Dodger lives and works in. Very strange. Uh, he couldn't save this trash either, nor could Katie Barbary, who is known for Kids Incorporated and played Dodger's crush Tangerine. Still on the one of the funniest names I've ever heard of a character in a movie who is dating a guy who kicks Dodger's ass named Juice throughout the whole movie. <laughs> I can't even make this shit up. Tangerine and Juice. Uh, I could go on about the plot, and I use the plot title lightly uh, because I'll uh, cite uh, good old Chicago Tribune again. Uh, from uh, my home, sweet home, Chicago, um, Monday, August 24th, 1987, the weekend after this shit show hit the screen, uh, Tribune critic Johanna Steisman wrote, the voices of the GP kids, even though they were looped separately, uh, this movie and uh, employs fewer than a dozen sets and scenes seems to move from set to set, not according to any organic logic, but the sort of rhythm one might expect from amateur night on a cruise ship. (laughs) The acting is credible, but there are really no characters to portray. There is music, but nothing hummable. That's true. Uh, (laughs) This uh, grade uh, school humor, sure, but uh, could argue that it is... Uh, healthy for children to have it uh, validated on film. Uh, Unfortunately, with the poor production values and uh, crowded plot, uh, the kids come out like cardboard, just like their prototypes. What's left is unappetizing entertainment. Anyone who finds themselves under pressure to take a child to see Garbage Pale Kids the movie would do well to tell the kid, see the movie? No, thanks. I've chewed the gum. (laughs) so i was going to choose in this house two which i should have really chose that but it was released in the same month as the garbage pale kids movie released august 22nd 1987 in my top worst three films of all time uh we can do anything by working with each other that's all i learned from that That uh, movie has haunted me my whole life, and um, I am a Garbage Pail fan, obviously, but that movie, I don't know. There's a love-hate thing with it, I think, with a lot of people, but mostly hate. it's (laughs) bad, man. It's pretty shit. It's horrid. (laughs) Terrible, terrible. They are frightening, though. All the Garbage Pail kids are fucking frightening. The the fact that they malfunctioned, like I mentioned, during production, they left that in there, obviously. I mean, you could actually watch. I pinpointed scenes where the eyes will go crazy <laughs> and one eye's going nuts while the other one, and they're talking. It's real yeah. effed up. <laughs> that actually happened to Yoda on the set when they were filming. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But, the, you know, that's Henson. I mean, that's, this shouldn't even be put in the same yeah. conversation with this uh, shit show. The shots where Yoda's like drifting off and dying and his eyes are kind of wandering. That was actually just the suit <laughs> malfunctioning unfortunately the garbage pill kids weren't dying they were just speaking in rolling <laughs> <laughs> the hell to heads are going crazy the, one with the fucking boils all over its face that was nat nerd oh god um, that was and dis- he would piss himself every other scene that was like the most disgusting character in a movie ridiculous, ever ridiculous ridiculous 
Alligator was pretty sweet, though. Yes, he was. Yeah, I mean, and nothing can top an alligator with a lunchbox full of body parts. I mean, yeah, that definitely wasn't. That's 1987 for you, though. You know, we, you know, us kids. That's we know obviously why we're here today. You know, we all grew up on that kind of thing. So, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Garbage Pail Kids movie. It's infamous, infamously bad. And <laughs> I probably, I've never done. I've never done them. You know, surprisingly, I've never done an episode or covered that on my uh, podcast yet. Um, I uh, try, I was going to, and I just haven't haven't done it yet. And uh, I think I should one day because I could probably fill a whole show about that uh, one movie. Well, it's it's pretty fitting that you got that for your last. Yeah, election. very. I was yeah. very happy because uh, yeah, I looked and saw that um, Masters of the Universe was not far behind it. But wow. yeah, I got to go with GPK, obviously. Already. <laughs> All right, guys. So uh, I'll go next. Uh, you know, for my movie selection with football starting up soon and the NFL's already in preseason. This one kind of just seemed fitting. So released August 14th, 1998. I give you Air Bud, Golden Receiver. You know, it's the unnecessary sequel in the story of a golden retriever who can play football. So unlike its predecessor, Air Bud, Golden Receiver, was a box office failure. It received negative reviews nationwide, and it grossed just over $10 million off an $11 million budget. So... And in a perfect worst of episode review, a review in the Dallas Morning News starts off. First, the sad news for all the Air Bud fans. Buddy, the hoop shooting pooch, died of cancer the day the sequel started shooting. Moment of silence, but not to fear. Apparently, athletic golden retrievers aren't so rare. So that's how he starts the review for this movie is, oh, the the dog died, but not a big deal. They just got another dog. Or six, to be precise. Then a reviewer in the uh, Courier Post out of Camden, New Jersey, said, the, the problem with the Air Bud sequel is simple. Too many people, not enough dog. Buddy, the basketball-playing canine, has been nudged to the sidelines of his new picture. The heart of the movie is a sentimental story about a boy who misses his late father and resents the potential stepdad. Uh, there is a painfully broad comic relief with a couple of Russian villains thrown in. and But poor Buddy, he kind of drifts through throughout the movie like an afterthought. In fact, the whole thing feels like an afterthought. Then a reviewer in the San Francisco Examiner, he closes his review by saying, Family pictures don't have to be this way. Matilda and Babe, those are just two instances of movie that treat audience members as they have intelligence. Air Bud Golden Receiver, it's not even in the same league. So I give you Air Bud Golden Receiver, a franchise that should have died with the dog. August 14th, 1998. I'm glad Savage. you brought that Savage. up. <laughs> I think like two years ago, I had the original Air Bud yeah. when uh, John Cross used to judge the episodes, and I think I won that round. Never watched an Air Bud. <laughs> Yeah, don't. But there are quite a few sequels. There's yeah, I know. I'm aware of that. And then they started going into MVP, the most valuable primate, and all those. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good lord. <laughs> yeah, they've really uncovered a lot of sports loopholes. Well, there's no rule that a dog can't play basketball. <laughs> yeah, a monkey playing hockey—that's plausible. Yeah. All right, man, crush. Let's throw it over to you to wrap up this game. What is your selection for the movies round? All right, so let's go to August 9th, 1977. And boy, oh boy, I looked at August 1977. I scoured each 
in every newspaper for the month. Not every newspaper, but every day for the month. And I was damn disappointed. Honestly, it is a perfect month for the worst of because just about every movie that was released sucked. Even if I had, even if we we're doing a best of, I would have had Race for Your Life, Charlie Brown, and the Kentucky Fried movie. The rest of the movies for that month, total turds. So, and I would consider those movies kind of like midline. I probably couldn't have won around with either one of those, most likely. And I don't think this is a subjective thing. They either blew or they just weren't worth talking about. So for that reason alone, I should totally win this round. But alas, like I said, I scoured and I scoured until I found something that I could bring to the table. So I offer you a little motion picture by legendary director Radley Metzger called Barbara Broadcast. And just for the people listening, I watched this movie the other night because that's what I do. Let me give you a little description first from the back of the box for Barbara Broadcast. In an elegant restaurant where gourmet food and gourmet sex are both on the menu, former high-class prostitute and acclaimed author Barbara Broadcast transforms lunch with journalist C.J. Lang into an afternoon of sexual excess. Barbara seduces her way through a corporate office and a busy Manhattan nightclub while Lang ventures into the kitchen for a smoldering encounter with Wade Nichols that just may be the greatest sex scene ever filmed. It's not uh, climaxing <laughs> with the return of Misty Beethoven, Constance Money, and her tormentor Jamie Gillis. Bon appetit. <laughs> with that said, if you're in the mood for five course meals, waiters who deliver their own special salad dressing, a side of bondage, boning on the buffet table, fanboys, chocolate von Cox, getting to see how soup is really made, the over-the-top origin story. And I said that correct. Disco and arm wrestling. It really happened. And the theme song to People's Court. Then go and grab yourself a copy of Barbara Broadcast. Or not. But that's what I give you. Oh, and yes, by all means, this is Triple X. <laughs> wow. Broadcasting and women with questionable morals. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, sounds like my uh, wheelhouse. <laughs> It was released on Blu-ray a couple of years ago. I, I don't know if it was Vinegar Syndrome. Somebody, like one of those companies did it. Yeah. So you can uh, you actually find a fantastic. Probably don't want to see that one in 4K. And uh, the uh, the waiters really do deliver their own special dressing to the salad, Ooh. to the table. This happens. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. Table side. <laughs> <laughs> Let's throw it over to Joe Finley for his final verdict on this game. All right, um, we're going to uh, talk to Mark and uh, Airbud Golden Receiver. This made me laugh very hard because I remember uh, when this movie came out and they were like, yeah, did you know a dog can play football? And my first thought was like, no, it fucking can't. <laughs> like, it's like at the very least that the basketball, he's like nosing it. He's like, pass it off and he knows it. it's something's happening. I was like, there's no, he, no, he can't. He can't like it's it, it's a silly hill to die on, but no, the dog can't play football. He can't do it unless he was on defense. Yeah, <laughs> and you bite the shit out of somebody. Fair, 
<laughs> you just took the wind out of my argument. <laughs> All the football scenes in this one are just hit, uh, Air Bud catching like a semi-deflated football, kind of <laughs> like a, how a dog would catch a Frisbee. It's like a fucking Nerf. Yeah. Uh, well, as a Patriots fan, I can get behind that. So. It's a whistler <laughs> from the 90s. Yeah, so I mean that one's something. Uh Barbara broadcast. Uh Man Crush is always the one to bring us the X-rated uh <laughs> movies to this thing. Hey, sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to. The seventies is the seventies is a really interesting uh decade for when you're doing especially the movies round, because you usually fall through a bunch of like crap nobody's ever heard of. But then every now and again you get a Jaws or a Star Wars that yep. will like it it's just like a it's just like a death button. It's just like I'm just gonna hold on to this and then I'm going to say Star Wars and the other two people automatically lose. Um <laughs> so it's it's just it's just a tough break. It's uh, Barbara Broadcast. Like I've never heard of it, but I definitely want to see it. That's, that's I'm gonna look it up now. <laughs> Actually, up. what's funny is somebody recut it and put it on YouTube in a G-rated version. Oh God, it's nine minutes long. <laughs> so you have to watch. If you do watch it, watch it back to back because it's fucking hilarious to see how he cut everything out. Wow, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. It's the Snyder cut of porn. Yeah. Um, except <laughs> shorter. 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 Yeah. <laughs> and 16 by nine. Yes. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, and Garbage Pail Kids. Oh, my God. This is one that uh, we we did cover on Miscast Commentary. Um, learned a lot about it that I didn't know before, but it was really a horror show. I We usually don't rewatch a movie like uh, before prior to seeing it and like we go at it with as fresh of eyes as we can get and it was like just witnessing a murder man like oh my god but uh just a few things i did learn from that arturo arturo gill who played uh windy winston in the uh little suit uh you know him as a station from bill and ted's bogus journey and he was also one of the dinks in Spaceballs, but that is also true of every little person actor that you found in the eighties. He's very famous though. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, greaser Greg was voiced by none other than Winnie the Pooh himself, Jim Cummings. Jim Cummings. Yep. So Jim Cummings was was also in Barbara broadcast, I think. (laughs) Oh, Hey, except the S moved to the end of Jim. I think Jim, <laughs> just a Jim that came was in the movie. But yes. no, I, did, I left. Close. I left this out of mine. Did you hear about what they were going to do, um, Joe, with the uh, original? I guess uh, there's a rumor that they were going to have a different director, not this Artamo, this TV uh, producer guy. They were going to have a different guy that was more of a. Uh, he was on Friday the Thirteenth and um, a Troll. Oh yeah, he, he was, was going to make it more guy. of a horror. He wanted to make it more of a horror thing where they were mutated with doll parts and like murdered people. Yep. And I was like, well, that would have been a lot better than what we got. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Time for a reboot or something. Jeez. Yeah, I don't if know they what they should reboot anything. God. No. I, I don't know what they were thinking with this. Like it's I Garbage Pail Kids should have gone out into something else, but like it should have been some kind of like animated thing. Like today's day and age, it would have been an easy like throw that on adult swim, have a silly yeah. little thing, and that'd be the end They're of it. They're supposedly making a new one for I think it said HBO Max got the rights to it Ooh. and Tops is gonna do this uh yeah, an animated I don't know if it's going to be a movie or a series, but I'm looking, yeah. I'm waiting on that one. That that they do that right, it'll be wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'll be interested to see that. But uh, good news for you, Chucky, you just tied this game up in the last round because Garbage Pail Kids is where it's at for the best of the oh, worst. No. 
<laughs> all right so this one's all tied up like joe said so we're gonna go to a, a wild card round between man crush and chucky to decide who wins this game all right man crush you're gonna be up first in the wild card round what you got man all right so let's do a little news let's go to august 20th 1977 i'll keep this one short we got convicted uh nazi war criminal oh, herbert geez. kapler this is a guy that ordered the killings of 335 people. He's apparently by his wife stuffed into a large. He was this guy was dying of like terminal, like colon cancer or some shit. She stuffed him into a suitcase and dragged him out of like the holding that he was in. And he escapes from the Rome hospital and reportedly made his way all the way to West Germany and got away. He was found wow. years later in the suburbs of Chicago in a polka band. Polka, polka, polka. Polka, polka, polka. Close to where uh, Gacy buried the uh, bodies. Right. <laughs> I just, like, the entire story I didn't give a shit about, but the fact yeah. that they packed, like, a human being into, and they, they call it a suitcase, but it was probably, like, a trunk or some shit like that, because who the fuck can fit into a suitcase? But the dude was dying, and she she put him in this thing and got him out of the hospital. What kind of shit yeah. news is that? That's not great news. Uh, well, he was a Nazi, so fuck <laughs> him. <you know? laughs> That's the truth. Yeah, but he escaped. No, no sympathy yeah. for stuffing Nazis in um in suitcases. So yeah, yeah, it sucks. He escaped. That's yeah. Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. I gotta go. I gotta go find him. You, you go do that, Joe. This is 1977. I'm oh, sure no, he's, he's out there. He's long dead. Yeah, he's, he's out there. All right, Chucky, what did you bring for the wild card round? Well, um, kind of scrapping here because I did not expect this. Very unexpected to go into sudden death. But I had to dig in. Uh, I, I'll, I'll take one of my second choices that I was going to talk about, um, which was found in the um, the Streeter, Illinois Press, Times Press, in uh, 1987. Uh, Hollywood reported that um, Eddie Murphy was in talks with um, Hanna-Barbera to voice a uh, a cartoon. Uh, I'm not sure if this was going to be an Eddie Murphy cartoon because there wasn't much on there, like a Gary Coleman or Mr. T cartoon with Eddie Murphy because he was fresh off of Beverly Hills Cop 2 at this time. And Adventures uh, <laughs> uh, of Eddie Murphy? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Um, Fuck you, I mean, Eddie. Yeah, really. I mean, well, what kind of uh, Hanna Barbera would that be? Um, but that was all I found. One, it was that he was in talks in 1987 to do a, a project with um, with Hanna Barbera. Uh, I did find in 2011, uh, fast forward of like 20 years, um, Variety and MTV.com were reporting in, uh, that he was going to do a uh, version. I'm not sure if it was film or movie version of Hong Kong Fui. And he was going to voice Hong Kong Fui. Um, and that's the only thing I can think of is it was connected to this 1987, uh, you know, when they started talking about it or, you know, planning it. And it didn't like surface until 2011. And guess what? We never got a Hong Kong Fui movie, did we? Because I had never heard, you know, I never heard anything after that. So, uh, but yeah, with the popularity, I guess, in 2011 with the, you know, Yogi Bear and all those movies that they were, you know, putting out, you know, um, Hanna-Barbera had a lot of uh, movie um uh, uh, projects that they wanted to do 
And apparently, yeah, that was one of them. They were going to take Eddie Murphy. And uh, in 2011, I think he was really popular with uh, doing a donkey and um, do a Hong Kong <laughs> fooey. I can imagine it would have been a movie. Kind of like we're, we're nine. Me and Meg. All I can hear is very popular for doing a donkey. <laughs> that was in Barbara Broadcast. It was <laughs> Hey, wasn't wasn't Eddie Murphy with the uh, that whole scandal back in the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the transvestite prostitute? Yeah, yeah, yep. you know. So you never know. You just never know. I got an ice cream, and you ain't got one. And I know Hong Kong. I know kung fu. <laughs> All right, Joe Finley, it's up to you, man. What is your final verdict on this game? Uh, well, I mean, this probably isn't that hard of a choice for me. I mean, the Eddie Murphy thing's cool, but it's kind of like, uh, it's not an incomplete story. It's not like you didn't do your research. It's just that nothing really happened. No. And the other one, (laughs) I'm somebody who works for, uh, for the History Channel in Canada, and Nazis are kind of our jam, so, uh, (laughs) so I, I gotta go with Man Crush on this one. (laughs) Great. Now the transcript's going to read Nazis are our jam. <laughs> Great. <Whoops>. Okay. <laughs> let's make sure I what I actually said is not seeds in our jam, please. No seeds in go. our jam. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seeds, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh man. <laughs> well, you can see you can see why I went with that one. That you know that choice was <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, congratulations, Man Crush. You pick up yet another victory. I think that might be three in a row. I think I'm on a streak. It's what we call a winning streak. And I am banned from the show from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> me and me and uh, Mike Ranger are going to be hanging out with <laughs> talking about our we're licking our wounds. And <laughs> I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens with Mike Ranger. We don't know. Uh, I talked to him earlier this evening. He might be back, but we don't know because he's suspended. You'll have to find out. All right, duelers. Well, unfortunately, I think we're going to have to end this episode right here. But before we do, let's toss it over to our judge for this episode, Mr. Joe Finley, so he can tell us what's going on on Miscast Commentary. Uh, As always, uh, we're doing a lot of fun stuff. Uh, As this episode comes out, we will have just finished our summer of sequels, where we finished that off with with a commentary of Terminator 2. Uh, And we're getting into some comedies now. we almost accidentally picked more sequels just moving forward. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we got some fun comedies coming out and we're doing all that. And as always, uh, check out the YouTube page for both that and my own YouTube page, which is Miscast Joe, uh, which is just all tutorials and stuff. You see a lot of behind the scenes and stuff like this and how I do it. So there you go. And Chucky, why don't you tell everybody where people can find your podcast? Well, my podcast is available everywhere except for I, iTunes, I think. <laughs> Unless <laughs> iTunes grabbed it and uh, put it up for me, I, I think I'm on everywhere else. Uh, YouTube, I upload um, you know new episodes every every other month. I also upload uh, commercials and stuff that I grab off of VHS. A lot of old retro stuff, mixes and stuff I put together. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, you can find it anywhere podcasts are available. Um, I just did a new episode where we uh, covered. Leonard part six, Ooh. which is another, uh, uh, you know, I mean, we're talking about bad movies here. Um, yeah, I also have a, a, a YouTube uh, puppet show uh, that's in, in association with my uh, a movie I did back in 2011 called Showman's Unrest, which is a uh, horror comedy, real low budget shot on VHS type of thing. 
And uh, yeah, I do uh, uh, did a couple episodes of this puppet show. That's on my other YouTube, but uh, that's outside of the uh, the podcast world. But uh, I thank you guys for having me on. It's, it's been a real fun uh, experience, and hopefully, you could do it again sometime. It'd be great, dude. Thanks for awesome. coming on. That was yeah, fun. man. Yeah, I'm always getting into something. You can get me on uh, Instagram, Werewolf of Berwin. Uh, but Garbage Pail Flicks is F L I X with an X. Uh, Garbage Pail Flicks VHS or Garbage Pail Flicks. Yeah. All right, duelers. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. So until next time, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Podcast New York. Podcast New York. Be heard. <laughs>